Welcome to the Abbot Loop Community Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. So I have this series on my heart that is, um, that I think is a really, it's a really important shift uh, or something for us to anchor to. And it was interesting um, as I, I was thinking about like, why exactly do we feel uncomfortable talking about this subject um, and uh, I, th- I think there's some important reasons why when we start talking about the righteousness of Christ or us living to his standard, that we start to get a little uneasy and we get a little nervous. But there, there, there's good reason, though, I think. I think there's good reason. But, but the reality is, is that we have to face what Christ has set in front of us and then reconcile how we live, reconcile that to how we live. And, and, and that's why I've been you know, talking with my kids, and then even with our staff, we've had these conversations, and then I just had this thought. It was like, you know, um, and we're having some conflicts or some problems or whatever around some of the situations, and I realized, you know what, our problem is, is we're not doing this Jesus's way. That's actually the problem, we're not following the protocol that God had set out for us, and I was like, you know what, why don't we just try this his way? You know, let's try it his way first and see how it turns out, and then we can do our way. Right? You know, let's see how it goes. Because so many times we think our way is going to be better. Isn't that, our, isn't that human nature that, oh yeah, my way is going to be better. And you know, we as Americans, we, we love this kind of thinking. We brainwash ourselves. So extreme. We say extreme things like, you can do anything. Lie. <laughs> Lie. I used to think I could do anything, and I tried to fly. And it hurt when I hit the ground. You, I cannot fly without beating the principles that govern this world, right? Gravity is more powerful than my aura, apparently. I used to hit my hips and, I can fly. No, I cannot. I tried everything. Towels, they don't make me fly around my neck. None of that stuff works. But we teach our kids And this is a cool thing, because there's a cool thing about this part of the teaching is the creative nature of what God put inside of us to create. Do things that no one else has ever done before. And that's really the message that we're trying to get when we say extreme things like you can do anything. Is it like, don't let the limitations of what you've seen hold you back. Dream big. And dream about things no one else has done. And just because if you're in a certain place in your life or born into a certain status, that does not imprison you to that spot. You can be, be beyond. You can go beyond where you start. And that's a great message. And that is true. But, but we, we encourage this creativity and this thinking outside the box or coloring outside the lines. But there are areas of our life that we should not be coloring outside the lines. And especially as, as, as we look in the area of morality in our life. The righteousness of Christ, righteous living. This is not an area to get creative. And like, well, I just tried my way. That, okay. You try it your way. You're, you're going to get some results that you probably didn't want to sign up for when it comes to morality. So let's divide this. It's a creative thought of I want to do new things in ministry and push myself for the boundaries, right? But we don't push the boundaries in morality. God, that's where we get into really big trouble. Certain principles apply in certain spaces and don't in others. 
That's just the way it is. And so you and I, we need to ask ourselves and look, look introspectively at our life and say, you know what? Do I like the results I'm getting from doing it my way? In what area of your life are you doing it your way? Because I'm sure you're like me, and you're just a good mixture of some areas where you're like doing it Jesus' way, and then there's other areas where you're like trying it on your own. I'm the only one. No. You're all like, look at, don't look at me. I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at all y'all. Looking past you. So this is what I want you to think. So are you tired of that? Are you, are you tired of the things, the results you get your way? Are you ready to change the scenery of your consequences? You have the power to change the scenery of your consequences. The whole landscape can shift if you align yourself to the righteousness of God. See, Jesus, I always like to think about Jesus, his life, the way he lived it, as a shape. And I love it that he came as a man, because he really had defined lines. You know, before that, everybody's like, what's the shape of God? What does he look like? He could be anything. But when Jesus showed up, he was man. He looked like us. And there was a beginning and end to him. It was a shape. And if you drew the shape around me, you'd draw real lines. You know what? The righteousness of Jesus, who he is, has real lines in and out. You're in righteousness or out of righteousness. He said, I came in you. You dwell in me and I'm in you. And he is perfect righteousness. Okay, so when he comes in you by his blood, he makes you righteousness. Now you are righteous. And now you are the shape, the lines of Jesus. You're in him. So you have options. You choose Jesus, you're made righteous. He makes you that. And then you get to come before him as righteous. You get to choose to live righteously and bring your works, your life before the king. He makes you righteous, you're right before him. You get to choose to live that way. This is awesome. And God makes you the benefactor of your choices. You get to be the benefactor of your choices. Galatians 6, 7 says this, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Listen, ladies, that does not cut you out. Women, mankind, man and woman, you can't mock God. You're going to reap what you sow. It's all of us. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. So you sow in the flesh, what do you get? Destruction. So you do it your way, you get destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. So whoever sows to please the Spirit, you live in righteousness, you get what? Eternal life. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Okay, one of the things that makes me feel nervous about talking about let's live righteously, let's live according to God's standard, let's preach up God's standard, let's go for it, is that we as people, we, re, we actually like to look, at, look externally first before we look internally. And we like to get, we, we like to take the truths of God and even the very righteousness of God and then weaponize it and use it against other people to make us feel better about ourselves. Because if I cut you down, I feel like I got lifted up. Sicko. You're just like me. All right. We, we, this is human nature. 
and, and I get nervous that we start preaching the righteousness of God, but then we, we also get nervous to preach this right. If, if we don't preach the righteousness of God, the other, the other option is just lower the bar so everybody feels good. We do this in the school district, right? We go, oh, not enough people are passing classes. Let's lower the bar. No, that's not the idea. Not everybody does that, but that is a thought. That is a practice. And in Christ, you can't lower the bar. Jesus is. God is the beginning and the end. He is a shape, and it's defined. You and I don't have a say in it. It's him. And we either come into him and, or not. And so this is what I want us to do, is look introspectively and look into ourselves and not just think, oh, yeah, oh, man, if everybody would just do that, if all those people would just start living right, we're preaching all, do it his way. I'm like, yeah, you guys all do it his way because I'm awesome. I'm already like him. Okay. <laughs> we, w- listen, if, if every single one of us can slip into that kind of thinking. We've all done it. And if we don't check ourselves, we slowly, in, and it's in our heart of hearts where we can see it. Uh, Reed, uh, Pastor Reed, who was up uh, preaching, he, was, he preached a message to the youth ministry, and we're talking about this as he's prepping his message. It's a cool point that he was making is that, that you only know your heart. And you only know the full joy in your heart, and, and, and you know the sin that's really deep in there. And there's a cool proverb that talks about this, and he was unpacking it for the youth. But it, this is the truth is you only know what's really going on inside of there, you and Jesus. And you've got to look inside there all the way to your deepest of hearts and does the righteousness of God live in there. But if you and I don't know the truth, we don't understand what his standard is, then we'll never be able to live to it. We're just blind. We're just missing all of the space, right? So you and I have to see what God sees. And then we have to shift something else. We have to see that God is good. We will never live to the righteousness of God because it's hard, easy to do. In fact, you cannot do it. When you read in Matthew 5 and you go through uh, 5, chapter 6 and 7, Jesus is doing what they call the Beatitudes, and it is impossible in your own strength to do it his way. And Jesus is taken and teaching out of the law, and then he takes it down to the heart, and he's like, This is what it really means to live righteously. And everybody's thinking, who in the world can do that exactly? Except by the power and empowerment of God. Could any of us live like this? But if we do, it's for our benefit only if we see that God is really good. But if we don't see him as really good, it just looks really hard. And then it also looks like judgment. It feels like I don't measure up. And then when we start to weaponize it, it releases toxic shame across the body of Christ because now we're preaching this thing and everybody feels like they don't measure up and we're all not good enough and woe is me, somebody whip me. That is not what Christ died for. He said, I died to set you free. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Not heavy and, and, and laden with judgment. He said, I didn't come to condemn you, I came to set you free. Or I came to save you. And we have to learn how to live in that and live with one another in that. But when we see God as good, it changes how we look at the righteous standard of living set before us. 
Because now I believe if I live the shape of Jesus, the way he lived, if I live that way, if I do what he said to do, even if I don't understand, even if I don't want to or I don't feel like, if I just tried his way, then guess what? I'm going to reach maximum good in my life. See, if I believe that God's standard is actually maximum good for me because he's good and what he has planned for me is good and it's not holding me back from something good. See, God is not keeping us from something good by saying, don't do this, don't do that, do do this, do do that. He is keeping us from something bad. He is keeping us from bad consequences. He's keeping us from negative experiences that aren't necessary in our life. It doesn't mean it's easy. Uh, you don't, I don't know if you have that photo that somebody was passing around. You probably didn't add it. Oh, did you? Oh, gosh, you guys are amazing. I can't believe you did it. Somebody gave this to me after the first message is, is we have this fence. And they go, I hate being confined by these fences. I'm jumping over. Wait, it's not a fence. It's a guardrail. Ah. <laughs> whoever keeps the commandments keeps their life but whoever shows contempt for their ways will die because look here's the thing our way the way that we see life um it's just just not going to work out quite as good as god's way you know i remember learning this lesson as a fisherman you know i grew up commercial fishing, um, because I just really wanted to be more biblical than most. And so I started there as a disciple. <laughs> Not true, it's the only job I could get. So <laughs> no one else would take me. I grew up in a fishing town. I grew up in Nikiski and in the, on the Kenai, you know, in the Cook Inlet. And so I grew up commercial fishing. And so I remember my first time out on a skiff, and we set net, right? We were set netting, and so... Um, uh, we're going out, and I'd never seen a net, like, come out of the boat and be set, and the guy who's, like, the crusty old guy that ran the, you know, site, and he had it a lot of, you know, for a lot of years, and um, he tells me what my job is. He explains it to me. He says, Josh, we're going to pile all the corks in. You're going to get running. They're going to tie off to the first anchor, and they're going to go, and your job is to get the anchor, like, all the way out of the boat and just hold on to the very end of it, and at the last second... You let it go, and it drops off, and then the line goes tight, and it sets. Hopefully, it sets in the ground, and then we're good, and, we, and then, the, you know, fish start running into the sucker. Okay, so uh, somehow in the translation of when he told that to me, and I got in the boat, I'm thinking, I lift weights. I'm good. I can do this. So I pick up the anchor, and I'm going to hold it. Now, imagine on mine. I'm just going to take it. I'm going to throw it over the edge. Pretty heavy, too, by the way. Okay, so I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but... When the boat starts going, I mean, it's like, you know, and you're like, you know, and you're like, whoa, you're not on balance. So I'm holding this anchor, and the corks are coming out in the net, and it's loud. It's like, like I'm like going, whoa, dude. And I start thinking about, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if my way is going to work. And there's this really amazing and terrifying moment when you're setting a net of when all the corks go out and it's so loud and then all of a sudden, 
there's no noise. It's like, and then it goes, just the line, there's the lead line they call it, just going out because there's no more corks anymore. It's like, and you're watching the rope right next to your feet going, and I'm going, I'm holding on to the end of this sucker. So I freak out. I take the anchor and I throw it as hard as I can. It hits the side of the boat and falls to the ground. And I threw it early because I was panicking. And so there's still some line there like going. And it was enough time for everybody in the boat to like look at me. And then we all looked at the anchor. And the, the guy was like, like, he didn't have enough time, the guy driving the boat, that t- didn't have enough time to pull the gas off, right? And there's these things they call gunnels, like uh, running boards, I mean, uh, on the bottom of the boat. And it hooks onto one of those running boards in the front of the boat, because I'm in the bow. And the whole boat comes to a complete stop and just like, and the motor's still going full bore, you know? And everybody in the boat, all three of the other passengers, fall onto me in the very bow of the boat. The small on my back and just my, my little cheeks were holding me in. And I'm bent over almost in the water. And the only reason I didn't fall out is because everybody else landed on me. And it's like, it's the boat still going, pulling that sucker tight. And the guy driving the boat finally gets over and he undoes, pulls the gas off. And then we get the anchor out of the boat and set it on the ground. And he looks at me and he goes, well, that was the tightest net we ever set. <laughs> True story. <laughs> he didn't even yell at me or nothing. He's like, he didn't even tell me nothing. He, he's just like, he's never going to do that again, you know. <laughs> no lesson, lesson learned. The skipper guy, who's the old crusty dude, is literally falling all over his truck, cracking up watching this thing happen, right? <laughs> Proverbs 16.25 says this. There's a way that appears to be right. But in the end leads to death. (laughs) Almost. Really close. Almost. (laughs) I'm sure if you guys have been doing life for any measure of time, you've had some experiences of trying it your way. Anybody ever tried it their way? Yeah, and you're like, hey, I'd like to change the landscape of those consequences. Can I change the outcome there a little bit? That might be good. But you know, God won't be mocked. We reap what we sow. We sow good, we get good. We sow bad, we get bad. And that's why he gives us a standard, and it comes from the law. We have the Ten Commandments, really. That's the core of, of the righteousness of God. And then we, it drives into new covenant living that is in the, in, the, in the heart of who we are, that the Holy Spirit is empowering us. But it's about experiencing His grace, driving us into this righteous living because His way equals maximum good for our life. And we have to see God that way because when we see God as not good or we see him as someone keeping us from good, then we see the word of God. When we read these passages that are challenging and say we ought to live this way, we read them differently like, oh God, I don't really trust that you have what's best for me. Oh God, I think you're a kill joy rather than the bringer of joy. You're just killing, killing my fun. 
God's not trying to keep you from something like the fence. It's a guardrail to keep you from death. There's a way that we think and see, this is the thing, is we can't go based on our own good ideas. I've had lots of good, that was my good idea in fishing boat. That was my good idea as like 14-year-old kid or however old I was. You know what? We're just like that. In all areas of our life, when we can't see what God's best is, and we have to trust it, that it will produce maximum good for us. But if we just go based on what we think is good or right, no, we're going to end up like me in the boat. Near-death experiences. Trouble. Discord. Problems. When we see God as good, and see, then it changes what we see. So you get a look you get to look at things, right? There's a lens in your life, and you're looking through that lens. And you have, you have two choices. You get to look through the lens, and you get to look at your lens. So you can actually take the lens you're looking through and turn it sideways in your life, and then begin to look at what makes it up. What makes up this lens? Oh, there's all kinds of things. I believe God is good, or I believe God is bad. I believe what God has for me is good. I believe that doing God's righteousness produces the maximum good in my life. If I believe that, then I see through that lens, it affects everything in my life. But you and I have to look, be willing to look at the lens as well as look through the lens. And, and we need to make sure we have the right things going into our lens so that it's producing, that we're seeing the right things. Because when I see that, for, the, for me, it's like, Okay, I believe the Bible says swear into my own hurt that if I just do what's, what I said I was going to do, I just do what God called me to do, then, then, then it's going to work out good for me even if I have to suffer to do it. I'm not just looking out for what's good for me. The Bible says treat others the way you want to be treated or if your enemy lies about you, hurts you, persecutes you, all of these things, how do you behave? It says, man, you love your enemies. Even if they despitefully use you, you still love them. Why? Because you're looking through a different lens. See, if I believe that's truth and that's going to produce maximum good in my life, then I'm going to put that in my lens and I'm going to look through that and it's not going to be about me. It's not going to be about how hard it is. It's going to be what I believe is good about God. That's what it's going to be. And I'm going to believe. See, I believe that the Holy Spirit has, provides the grace for me to live that way. So I'm not even my power source anymore. What I see is good, as God is good, and I see his standard of righteousness as maximum good for me, not keeping me from something bad, and then I see the Holy Spirit as my source of power, the grace of God to do it. And now I look at that as not as an impossible task, like, oh, who could measure up to this? Instead, I go, God, this is impossible for me, but with you, all things are possible. I've all, with Christ, I can do anything. And so I go into that situation, and I look just at that, and I go, God, I know that this is going to be difficult, and I know that if I do this, maybe I give up all my finances or whatever. I give away what you're telling me to give away, and I don't know how I'm going to provide for that next step. You know what, Lord? I trust you. I'm going to do what I believe is maximum good, and I'm going to believe you're good, and you're going to provide for me other end. That is faith. Faith closes the gaps, but you have to be willing to look at the lens. You have to be willing to allow God to change your lens. And so that's what I want to do with this series, is I want to just dive in as we go over the next few weeks and look just at how, 
how we see. And let's add these things to our lens so we begin to see through the righteousness of God and understand that standard is maximum good for our life. And then we start to do it. Not to measure up or be accepted, but to produce maximum good in our life. We want the best benefit, the best that God has for us in every context. One of the other things you need to do in your lens is you need to then begin to see that you have a purpose. God is good. God's righteous standard for my life produces maximum good in my life. And you have a purpose. That God actually shaped you for a purpose. Matthew chapter 5 verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You are what? Salt and light. You're salt and light, brother. You're salt and light, sister. Let your light shine. <laughs> Just let it shine. <laughs> I can't just be a cliche. That has to be a... That has to be a belief system put inside of our thinking. That can't just be a Christian thing we say to each other. That needs to have evidence. See, salt is salty. And I tell people this. You, you don't like a lot of it. Mind blown. Yeah. And you know what you like? You like salt. You don't really like popcorn. You don't. You like salt. You don't really like just white rice. You like salt. I promise you, you don't like Brussels sprouts. I ain't never seen nobody eat just a boiled Brussels sprout all by itself. You like salt, you like garlic, and you like butter. That's the only thing that makes a Brussels sprout taste like anything worth eating. Yeah, bacon. Get stuck on that bacon. It's got salt in it, doesn't it? Makes it taste even better. That brings the flavor out. But salt has a universal flavor everywhere you take it. Bang, bang, pow, yummy. Salt's good. Some of you weirdos put salt on your watermelon, right? Nah, you're not weird. I was teasing my father-in-law right there. He'll get me even with me. <laughs> I saw him put salt on his watermelon when I was just a kid. I was like, what are you doing? So I was like, I love this stuff. <laughs> I swear I saw him put it on his ice cream, but he denies that. So, <laughs> You're the light. You know, light, there's no amount of darkness that can stop it. When you introduce light into a space, that's why it's so amazing how God made it is that you bring it into the deepest darkness. No darkness can stop light. It, right? You can't produce a darkness that, that even diminishes the light. It doesn't happen. It just, it shines out. That is the way your Christian 
living is supposed to affect the world around you. It makes it salty. It makes it taste good. It, it lights it up. You light up my life. <laughs> you light up my life. You should light up the life of people's, people around you, your family, your workplace. You should be salty in a good way. Not condemning other people of that they don't live up to the righteousness of God. But no, you bring the righteousness of God and it elevates the life around you. It makes it flavorful. It makes it meaningful. It makes it awesome. That is the space. That is the purpose. When you understand you have a purpose and you put that into your lens and then you begin to see every moment, every opportunity as God's goodness is out for you. And when you live to his righteous standard, it produces maximum good in your life and the lives around you. And you have a purpose to be salt and light to the world. And when you and I choose to not live to that standard, we abandon all of those things. We do. We abandon the results of sowing into that and what we get from that is that we reap what the Spirit, life of the Spirit. Man, why do we trade this? Why do we try it our way? I don't know. I do it. I'm a mixture just like you. There's times when I just forget or get lost or have other ideas that somehow supersede what Christ has set forward for me. And I think it's going to work. It's not going to work. The landscape of those decisions are difficult and hard. I want his way. And we have to realign. And that's what I want. It's just our church to realign. But we, we realign with the love of God being paramount, being forefront. It's put into our lens and we're producing through a lens of love, life in us, around us, by the grace of God, letting his maximum good, by living according to his righteous standards, produce love in and through our life. Well, God has his best for you in mind. He has his best for you in mind. He wants to produce that maximum good. Let's look at one of the passages where he just comes in and challenges us in the Beatitudes. Jesus challenges us in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to talk a little bit about honesty and integrity here. Again, chapter 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill the, uh, to the Lord the vow, vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven or by its throne or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black, apparently, or make any grow, right? Can't do that either. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Let anything beyond this, uh, that anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Wow, Jesus. I, I, I don't need to like set out all these huge, you know, precursors to me saying I'm going to follow through and do something. Well, I promise. I promise on my daddy's grandma's doggy. I'm going to do this for you. You can, and you can take that to your grave. You might before I actually do it. You never know. We qualify. I love salesmen who do this. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. But we've been talking for 30 minutes. And now you're, now you're going to be honest with me? Confused here. <laughs> we, we qualify 
before we do these things. But in a Christ-centered life, Jesus is saying, you don't need to qualify all that stuff. If you live according to my standard, let your yes be yes, your no be no. And you know what? When we do that over time and we actually follow through, it builds something. It's a trust relationship with others that begins to build up. And we actually get a huge reward from this. This is called, when we do the same character uh, exercises or we live to God's standard over and over again over a long period of time, this is called integrity. It's a character trait that can be trusted inside of a person. And integrity is a bedrock for relationships, healthy ones. Without integrity, you and I actually, we can't have relationship. When I think you're going to be one way, one moment, and another way, another moment, it's really hard for us to have a relationship. But when we have consistency because of the standard of which we live and we, are, we have chosen to live to, that creates a powerful amount of synergy because I know what you're committed to and you know what I'm committed to. It unlocks the power of the body of Christ when we have integrity in our life. But we have to live to the standard. See, if we all don't live to the standard that is set in front of us in the Bible, then we don't have that synergy. Because you have a different standard than me, and I don't really know if I can trust the way you operate. Different set of values, different set of rules. Come on. It can't just be the rules of the world. We don't live according to those. We live according to this righteous standard. So when I see that my job it's just say what I'm supposed to say and then just do it. And when I do, the Bible even says, swear even under your own hurt. Like you make a promise, you follow through. Even if it hurts, you get it done. And you and I want to be people that we live such integrity that our yes is yes, our no is no. Ephesians 4.25 says this. Just stop telling lies. Don't be a liar. <laughs> Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. Don't be a liar. Stop telling lies. Listen, you're telling lies. Stop it. Stop it. It's a guardrail. It's not a fence keeping you from something. It's a guardrail keeping you from death. Every time you and I lie, we're breaking trust with everyone around us. And without trust, you cannot have relationships. Can't happen. So stop it. You're missing out on the blessings of God. Let's just tell the truth. And then deal with the consequences of the truth. That's better. In fact, that builds trust. That's what a person of integrity does, is they see the things that are difficult in life, and they tell the truth about them, and they just deal with the consequences. They work through them and get them done. Get them out of the way. And then move on. You can build on that. But you and I have to start telling the truth. Colossians 3.9 says, don't lie to each other for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. There's a piece of us just saying yes, just, just, just telling the truth about who we are and having integrity. Titus 2.6, in the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely and you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized, then those who oppose you will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. See, we live this way when our yes is yes, our no is no. It produces such consistency that it actually protects us from accusations. That's one of the benefits. Is when people really know me and I've been consistent over my life and somebody else who doesn't know me very well or sees me do something goes, hey, Josh said this and 
then they go right away and they go, no, the person who really knows me says, you know, you're misunderstanding Josh. I know Josh, and he would never mean that. Why? Why can they say that about me? Well, they've been with me a long time, and they've watched my character and the way I've behaved through difficult things, easy things, things I could cover up, and they've watched me not waver. That's the only reason that they could ever say anything like that about me. That's the reason why I can say things like that about lots of you. Because I've seen you. You've been through things. I've watched the way you've reacted and responded in Christ-like character through difficult stuff. That builds huge amounts of trust. And it protects us from these outside critics that could say something negative about us. Because the power of our testimony is our purpose. Our purpose to be salt and light. To be affecting the world around us. And when we diminish that testimony, we diminish the power of God working through our life. Did you hear that? Your testimony matters. Your reputation matters. The way you live according to God's righteous standard is not about you being accepted by God. It's about you being effective for God. If you're not living to the righteous standard, you're not in, co you're not in coercion or cohesion with the Holy Spirit. You're not. The Holy Spirit empowers you with his grace, which only produces righteous living. Righteous living, the standard of God, is the only thing that God is producing through you. Goodness. His grace is producing through your life. So you and I want to partner with that. It's going to be in those spaces. And when we don't, we diminish the power of God working through us and we diminish that testimony and the effectiveness of that testimony. How many of you ever heard of preachers that are like, huge healing miracle ministries and stuff, but then they have this massive breach of integrity and they steal money or sleep around with women and stuff. Does that diminish or elevate their testimony of the power of their ministry in your mind and your eyes? I have a hard time receiving from people like that. Not about you. I still want to get what the Holy Spirit has, but that still makes it difficult. So what is God's standard? And how are we living? And are we living to the fullest of what He has called us, called us to? Well, I want to. I want to. 2 Corinthians 1.17 <clears throat> Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, and by Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are always yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Let's think about this for a second. Slow it down. No matter how many promises have been made, they are yes in Christ. Jesus, he always follows through with his side. And so through him, the amen, the completion of it all, is spoken by us to the glory of God. We're the follow through. We're the amen of God's purpose on here on, on the planet. He wants to use you and me to be salt and light to the world. The way we live matters. The way we live matters. Matters to the world around us, matters to the, to the effectiveness of our church, to the world around us. This city 
will be saved through Christians preaching the Word, living the Word, in love with the living Word. That's where it's going to happen. It's not going to happen through us saying about it, but not doing it. You and I have, the way we actually carry out these things is the amen. It's the completion that unlocks the miracles. You and I have to buy in and see that this righteous living is God's maximum good for us. And it's his maximum good for our city and others around us. We have to buy in and then jump all the way in. Ephesians 5, 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Just live in the light. Let's get in it. Let's live in that light and let's buy in that God is going to do miracles and do something amazing in and through each one of our lives. But we have to have a shift. Shift from judgment, attacking others, to embracing what God has for each one of us. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.